Hey, so as I, as we, as I was getting into this uh, sermon, I was thinking as we were coming through the weekend uh, that how much I love food. Who doesn't, right? I mean, it's Thanksgiving season that's coming up, and, and I'm a little bit disappointed that we're not going to do Thanksgiving like we have at Refuge, just in light of the COVID restrictions. We're not doing that this year, which disappoints my heart. Uh, but, we'll, uh, but one of the things that uh, I was encouraged by someone, if, if you're new to Refuge, uh, one of the things that we've done in the past is we've all met together. We've uh, uh, provided all kinds of food here to Refuge, and then there are assembly lines. It's like a little factory here, Santa's little workers uh, here on Thanksgiving that are doing uh, uh, boxes of food. And we probably fed over 600, I think, last year. Was that the number last year? Over 600 people that were working on Thanksgiving. Well, unfortunately, we're not doing it again because of COVID restrictions this year. Uh, but Ann Williams said, uh, she gave me a great idea, and I hope that you'll choose to do it this year, that whatever you're going to do for your Thanksgiving, that you might choose to grab a few to-go boxes from somewhere, buy some styrofoam containers, and make some anyway, and maybe take it out to somebody who's having to work on Thanksgiving and bless them anyway. So rather than us doing it here, just do it from your own home. Uh, you're going to have leftovers, right? And I know I like leftovers. Lord knows I like some Thanksgiving leftovers. Uh, but there are some, pl- you'll have plenty. And whether you take two or 22 or 62 boxes out to somebody, we just want you to uh, do that thing on Thanksgiving. That'll be a way to continue to bless people uh, from here at the Refuge Church. And I do love gourmet food. I love like really fine restaurants. I love to go to restaurants and dine and eat really good food and just the different flavors and things is just one of my favorite things to do. Uh, you can, uh, sorry, I'm having a moment here. <laughs> just bear with me. Um, but I also like a good, just a good cheeseburger. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I like fine food, but I love a good cheeseburger and it just kind of drips down your arm. You know what I'm saying? One of the kind of drips down your arm and it just gets messy everywhere. Cheeseburgers and fries. Oh, I wish I had some right now, but I can't eat that. Uh, I got to lose 10 pounds. All right. So uh, today, uh, sometimes when we preach, you get a big gourmet meal. Well, today we get cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers, back to basics today because uh, there's some things that you need to know that we need to remember. The things that I've learned about uh, lots of things in church is many times we preachers can get kind of ethereal in our heads and we can preach a lot of little doctrinal things and, and we miss some things on the very ground floor that, that we have people in our church that are just floundering around and not knowing what we do next. What's my next step? What, what should I be doing as a church member? Uh, what, what, what's, what's my just kind of ground floor things that I need to do? This is the cheeseburgers of what it means to be someone who follows Jesus. Because, I mean, we live in some strange days today, right? I was just really weird things and really kind of strange here at Refuge. 2018, uh, our church family, if you're kind of new to Refuge, 2018, our church family uh, uh, faced quite the difficult circumstances, an inordinate amount of uh, sadness and death occurred in our church family. I mean, for any church, it would have been a big number, but for a church of 300, it was just, a, it was kind of like body blow after body blow after body blow. And, and so 2018 was difficult. And then it rolled over into 2019. It just continued. And, and so it was like, what in the world is happening here? And, and we finally made it to 2020 and began to feel like we're turning the corner only to have what? 
the worldwide pandemic that comes, you know, and everyone just disappears and nobody can, can show up anymore. And so we're doing shirts from our home. And, and I'm so thankful we have tech people like we have that, that have the ability to broadcast from home. If you, if you were watching during that time, there were times that we were doing things live where uh, we were doing music live from someone's house and then switching over to me preaching live from my house. And all that was happening on our iPhones uh, and that was broadcasting out to you. So it was really cool that that kind of stuff happened. And so I'm just thankful we have people like that. And, uh, and we continue to do that in the numerous formats. Uh, even today, while we're broadcasting live, we're broadcasting live to many who are watching us. If, if you look on our Facebook page, there are people from literally all over the country and actually from around the world that actually uh, watch our services and worship with us on Sundays. It's really cool. So I'm very proud for our skilled people that we have that share their gifts, uh, uh, not only with our church, but even with other churches to get them set up. You know, the, really, the reality is that we're for the gospel here, right? We are for the gospel to be preached. Uh, we are for other churches who preach the gospel regularly. We love other pastors and, and preachers and churches that preach the gospel faithfully. And we are for seeing the gospel heralded from every pulpit in our area. That's what we want to see happen, uh, not just here at Refuge Church, but at all churches in and around the, uh, uh, the area. And again, what we've talked about is as our church is changing and morphing, and I know it makes some of us uneasy about what we see happening around us. We, I said this last week that we just know some people you've seen at Refuge Church, they're not coming back anymore. They're going to do their own thing, and God's called them to another place. We say that people belong to Jesus. He can do with them what he chooses to do with them, Right? And so he's called some people from our family to go to be part of another church family. You know what? We, we, we're happy about that. Not that we, they go away. Well, some of them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I keyed. I keyed. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm really kidding. But some people go to another place because God calls them there. And we celebrate that with them. And, and some are finding new places to worship. And, and then some of you are coming to Refuge and finding a new place and a new home here at Refuge. And we're really thankful for you as well that, you've go, that God's chosen to bring you here. Um, and what we know is that anyone who walks in our doors, whoever you are that now call Refuge uh, your church, it is imperative. Listen, it is imperative that you become a disciple of Jesus. No matter if you've been here from 2009, some of you still have been from the time we opened the doors, um, or today is your first day. If you are a Christian, it is imperative that you become a disciple of Jesus, not just a Christian, but a disciple of Jesus. We believe that a fresh fire is literally stirring in our own church family uh, and, and, and with other like-minded churches in the city. Your elders have committed to fast and pray every Tuesday to this end. Uh, we're praying with other pastors uh, throughout our city that a fresh fire will fall in Shelby County, uh, that the Holy Spirit will ignite people, that will awaken people to the gospel. Uh, and, and so we're praying for you. We're praying for you individually. We're praying for our churches corporately. Uh, we're praying for you to be a disciple of Jesus. We're, pre we're praying that the name of Jesus will be unignorable in our city. Unignorable in our city. What we also know is, is that many people in our churches, many people in this church, maybe it's you, are really still kind of in an infant stage when it comes to follow Jesus. That we haven't moved past what it means to just repent and believe. We're in an infant stage of what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, 
Or maybe you're like the people that we baptized last week that are literally brand new Christians and they're just beginning their walk with Jesus. Maybe you've claimed the name of Jesus for many years and or maybe you've gone to church for years after year after year and you've listened to a lot of different sermons and teachings from numerous different Bible teachers. Uh, coming off sun, last Sunday with three baptisms and a full house and new people worshiping with us, this is an exciting time here at uh, Refuge. But what now? What now is the question? What does one do once you follow Jesus? That's a question for each of you. What does one do once you follow Jesus? How do you live? What do you hold fast to? What, what do you hold on to that, that should be near and dear to you? What is, import, what is important in the life of a new Christian, in the life of a follower of Jesus, that you become a disciple of Jesus? The great news is, is that Jesus didn't leave us without any instructions, Right? He didn't leave us to just kind of figure this out ourselves. And so I know there are many of you who have walked in and go, I don't know what to do. I really don't know what I should be doing or what I shouldn't be doing or how to even follow Jesus. I just don't know what these things are. But throughout the gospels, throughout the, the, the good news that is given to us and throughout the New Testament writers, we can see consistent commands to equip followers of Jesus and, and many of us followers of Jesus who've just existed in an infant state, how do we move out of that? Paul talks about that. He's like, some of you can't stand the meat that you need to get because you're still on the milk of the word. And he's giving a, a picture there of, of, think about that, of you know how babies are born when they're born. What do they, what do they eat or drink? Milk. Because they, you can't give them a steak, right? Well, maybe. <laughs> I would have probably tried it when I was a baby. Uh, but you can't give a baby a steak. You've got to give them milk. And what Paul was saying is that some of you are adults, and you should be eating steak by now, but you're still drinking milk. He said it's time for each of us as followers of Jesus to move off the milk and move more toward the steak. Okay. So today is going to be one of those stepping stones for each of us at Refuge. So, so no matter where you are in your time of following Jesus, or maybe you're not following Jesus yet, maybe you're not a Christian yet, uh, and, and maybe this will be an encouragement to you uh, to, to follow Jesus today. I hope it is. Uh, but for those of us who do follow Jesus, this is going to be uh, a, a time for us to grow in our faith and utilize the things, uh, these steps in our life uh, as we follow Jesus. So the first thing that we have to think about whenever we follow Jesus is this. You hear us say this all the time, repent and believe. Now I'm going to want you to write these things down somewhere because there's a test at the end. Okay? Repent and believe. You'll hear us use this language a lot at Refuge, uh, repent and believe. Now, you may have heard uh, growing up in your church where you might have been before uh, to if somebody comes to follow Jesus, what would sometimes they be described as doing? Ask Jesus. Oh, there we go. Into your heart. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so ask, there we go. Thanks. And we play, if you're new here, we play along, okay? Um, to ask Jesus into your heart. So that, that's, that's some terminology that you hear a lot of times that can be very confusing because it's really not biblical language. 
It's just not biblical language. You don't see that in New Testament text. And so if we don't see it in the scriptures, but somebody from the podium is going, you ask Jesus into your heart, that can be very confusing, right? It is. It's, it's very confusing for a lot of people. Here's what uh, the text would actually say in Mark chapter 1, verses 15. Uh, and Jesus said, that, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Ask me into your heart. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that at all. It says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is saying this, repent and believe the gospel. So when you, re- when you read the Bible, when you read the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are called the Gospels. These are called the, so this is the story, four different people writing about uh, the account of Jesus being on the earth. Uh, and so this is not the Gospel, this is the Gospels that's full of the Gospel. Tracking with me? Yeah, okay. Uh, so when you read the Gospels, how many times do you think that the word repent is found? Let's do a poll. How many times is the word repent found in the Gospels? Who thinks it's 58? Raise your hand. Okay, I see a few 58s. Don't don't forget your number. Who thinks it's 89? Raise your hand. I see a few 89s. Who thinks it's 106? Raise your hand. You more hands for that one? Or who thinks it's 199? Raise your hands. A few, I see a few 199s. Okay, so I need a drum roll. I need everybody to do a drum roll. Winner is 106, yeah, all right. There you go. What 106 times the scripture says, repent. It doesn't say ask Jesus into your heart. It says repent. So repentance must be pretty important, right? If it's given 106 times in the gospel, but what does it really mean to repent? The Greek term, the Greek word for this is metanoia. Say that with me. Metanoia. One more time. Metanoia. What it means is to change one's mind or purpose. That's what this means. To change one's mind or purpose. Repentance isn't just asking for forgiveness, okay? I need you to listen because this is important. Repentance isn't just asking for forgiveness, getting the forgiveness from God, and then living my life any way that I want to. Some of you are doing that, okay? Some of you think that you've done this whole repentance thing, that you've asked Jesus into your heart at some point, but you're still living your life the way that you always have. Nothing's ever changed about you. That's not biblical repentance, and that's not biblical salvation, okay? That metanoia means this, to change one's mind or purpose. Here's what repentance is. Repentance is turning away from the action of sin. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you go, the Holy Spirit of God indwells me and fills me and changes me, then something should be different about you. Your life should reflect that the Spirit of God lives within you. It should look different to people around you. You shouldn't be able to live, be living your life one way, repent and believe, ask Jesus into your heart, whatever the thing is that you've called it at some point in your life, and then continue on living the same way. That's not biblical repentance. If that's you, I have bad news for you. You're not a Christian. Christians 
Christianity changes. Jesus changes us. He makes us different. He makes us different. Life should be different. Sin should bother us. Sin should grieve us whenever we're followers of Jesus. It's actively choosing to say, no, 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 no way, Jose, to any sin. (laughs) Confessing sin and then leaving it behind. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. In in Luke chapter 7, there's a story of a woman who understood the real meaning of repentance. She regretted her lifestyle choices. She regretted how she had lived. She regretted what her life had, had been behind, but she knew who Jesus was, and the power of his love. Look what it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was receiving, reclining at the table, talking about Jesus, in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And so this woman was sorrowful over the life that she had lived. And I think as you read this, that we can assume that she was a lady of the evening. She was probably a prostitute. And so she was someone who had regretted the life that she had lived and the sins that she had committed. And so she came directly to Jesus. As soon as she heard about him, she didn't care about what anybody else thought about her, about what anybody else thought about what she was about to do, uh, or even if she might have been shunned in public because she would have been. And if you read the text, it'll actually tell you that people were, were mocking her and tell, what is she doing here? Why is she doing this very thing? Uh, but she came because she didn't care what anybody else thought. And she wept tears of repentance and poured out all she had, literally, It was an alabaster jar of perfume. And she took that alabaster jar of perfume and washed Jesus' feet. The jar probably would have cost her a year's worth of her wages. She recognized her enormous sin debt and that Jesus was the only one who could cancel it. That he was the only hope that she had that he was the only one that could give her any hope in the life that she had lived. The destruction that she had caused in her own life, she recognized that Jesus was the only hope. She poured herself out in loving gratitude over the one who would forgive her. And Jesus didn't push her away. He didn't shove her away or say, don't do that here or move away from me, woman. He told her, and he did it so that the other people around could hear her. He said, woman, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Some of you need that kind of Savior. Some of you need to hear your sins are forgiven. This woman who, in the presence of Jesus and and his love, in spite of her sin, received Jesus' forgiveness. Today, you can receive Jesus' forgiveness. Each of you. Some of you I know probably walk in here going, preacher, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But Jesus does. 
And the scripture tells us this whole book, the Bible, is about a God who loves you, people like you and me. He loves us so much that he was willing to lay his life down to cover your sin debt. All that sin that you commit, Jesus said, I'm going to take the punishment for it on the cross. That's the whole scandal of the gospel is that Jesus takes our punishment and he gives us eternal life in exchange. And that can be for you today. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter the thoughts that you thought on the way here today. Jesus says, there's forgiveness for you. And it comes through repentance and belief. Repenting and believing the gospel. Which means to turn away from, go, I don't want to sin like this anymore. I need to know God and I need to receive his love. And I want to believe that Jesus lived the life that I can't live and died on a cross to cover my sin debt, shed his blood to pay this penalty for my sins, was buried, and three days later, God raised him from the dead. And now he is ever interceding at the right hand of the Father for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, and he'll do that for you too. Salvation is for you. Yes, you. Today. Acts 3.19 says this, Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Listen. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent and believe. Secondly, he baptized. In the famous words of the famed theologian, Nacho Libre, why have you not been baptized? It's one of my favorite movies. I love Nacho Libre, and I love the baptism scene whenever they're about to fight. You know what I'm talking about? You Nacho Libre fans? Yeah, you know. Um, and, and so I, I love that scene, but, but in the, the true and better Nacho Libre, Jesus said this. Uh, sorry, that's not meant to be a heretical. That's just funny. Uh, this, is what, this is what Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus commanded his disciples to be baptized, uh, uh, to, be, to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But what does that actually mean? Is it simply just dunking yourself in water? Is that all that that means? Or is there something more to it? Now, there's a story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verses 26. You can turn there if you want to, but I'm going to read the text to you. Uh, it helps us understand this a little bit clearer. This is what Acts chapter 8 uh, says. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to, to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So you got the scene? So he's in his chariot, I mean, galloping along, and he's got his Bible in one hand, and he's holding the horse, and that's the next way. He's probably riding in a chariot, somebody's pulling him, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah, probably from a scroll. He didn't have a Bible, probably from a scroll, okay? And so he's reading it, and this is what it says. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. And so, so he's like chasing the chariot. Uh, uh, ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Like He's like, I hear what you're saying, but do you even understand what it is that you're actually reading at this point? And he said, 
How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And I'm sure Philip was happy because he was tired of running and he was glad to get in the chariot. Um, so the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And so that's the text that they were reading at the time. And this eunuch says to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? So he's like, is the prophet Isaiah just talking about himself, about something that happened in the Old Testament? Or is he actually talking about somebody else as he's writing this? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. And what, he, what this tells us is, is that he was taking an Old Testament text. So Old Testament, think about that, Genesis, you know, and through all those weird names in the Old Testament, uh, uh, all that Old Testament text, all that Old Testament history, he said, I'm going to show you from this that all that points to Jesus. That the Messiah that they talk about, the deliverer that was to come that they talk about, the one that we find our hope in, the one that we find our joy in, the one that is our only savior of the world is all coming to fruition in Jesus. And so he was showing this guy that that's what that meant. Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch says, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And so what he said was, essentially what we've got to take from this is, oh my goodness, all this stuff that I've been reading in the Old Testament, that I've been waiting on the Messiah to come, the deliverer to come is actually, he has come and it, it is Jesus and, and he's, Philip's like, yep. Uh, and, and so he's like, well, if that's the case, then I need to be baptized. And so fortunately, they came right along some water. Look what it says uh, in, uh, in uh, verse 37. And they came across some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Uh, and uh, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went his way rejoicing. See what happened there? He was like, hey man, here's some water. Why can't we baptize? They Pull the chariot reins. They both hopped out. He baptized him, uh, baptized him in some water. And, and then it says that just like that, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And then the eunuch was like, woohoo! It happened. That's what the text tells us. This eunuch was reading an Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus' death. And Philip explained it. And the eunuch Got, was baptized as soon as he figured out, man, I, I'm following Jesus. I, I need to be baptized. Here's what verse 38 says. He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So yes, baptism is done in water. We believe that baptism, as well as much as it should be, should be an immersion that you should, it's representing the, the, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And it symbol, but it symbolizes more than just being in water. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 6. Uh, Paul talks about this. Romans chapter 6, I'm going to read this to you, four, four verses. Uh, Paul says this as he's writing to the church at Rome. Uh, he's going through this whole diatribe of things in, uh, that he's writing to the church. And verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Uh, 
Uh, he just talked about justification coming through Jesus in chapter 5. And he says, so what then? Uh, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And so he said, uh, Paul was just talking about that grace covers all our sin. Remember what we say here at Refuge? What do we say? Where sin abounds, what? Grace much more abounds. I'm going to need you all to do that with me. Where sin abounds, what? Grace much more abounds. One more time because half of you aren't participating. Where sin abounds, what? Grace much more abounds. So what that says is it doesn't matter how big your sin is, grace is deeper still, okay? That there's more grace than you have sin, which is crazy, crazy, scandalous, that God would love us enough that even when we sin, there's more grace for us that is found in Christ Jesus. So Paul's talking about that. He's like, so if grace is so big, so we just keep sinning, so there's more grace? And he was like, no, by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? And then verse 3 says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him into baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so baptism is one of those things that, I, that does that very thing. It shows that, hey, I'm dying to my old self. And as I come up out of the water, it's like I'm being raised as a new person. Baptism doesn't save you. If you came from a church background that says water saves you, water don't save nobody. Jesus saves. Amen? Yeah. Jesus saves people. Water doesn't save anybody. But water baptism is a picture of what Jesus has done. So uh, being baptized is a public declaration that we identify with Jesus as our Lord. And it's something for new believers to do, not out of tradition uh, or some type of anything like that, but it's, a, it's something to follow Jesus' commands. If you've been become a Christian, then you need to be baptized. Now, some of you grew up in some traditions where you were uh, sprinkled as a baby and, and you were baptized as a baby, and now you've become Christian since then. The, the New Testament would tell us uh, there's, there's, no, there's nothing about christening babies, but there is scripture after scripture after scripture that says whenever people become Christians, then they're baptized. They follow Jesus, and then they do a public display of following Jesus. So I ain't trying to make you mad about what your mama told you. Uh, I'm just trying to tell you what scriptures say, okay? Amen? Oh, me? All right. Let's keep going. Hey, baptisms are celebratory here at Refuge. We love to celebrate baptisms at Refuge. Again, we did, we did three last week, and, and so some of you may need to be baptized, and you've been saved, you've repented of your sins, and uh, we just want to encourage you to do that very thing. So baptism is really important. Third thing is this, pray. Jesus taught us to pray like this. Uh, in the, uh, we, you know the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's talking about the wonderful name of Jesus and extolling who he is. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we want the heavens to come down, that we want the kingdom of God to be present at hand, and we believe it is. We believe the Holy Spirit is at work in and among and through all of us. And so we are part of what God is doing in this world today. Yeah, we, he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, that we desperately need God for our sustenance. Uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass or uh, uh, who uh, uh, have, as we've forgiven our debtors. And so it says that we're called to forgive others that sin against us. If we're going to ask God to forgive us, we're called to forgive others who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the scripture says that we should pray for God to do some things like that in our life. Don't lead us into temptation. Show us where the evil is and show us how to get away from the evil. Scripture tells us that that's how we're called to pray. 
So what is it that we call, uh, what do we call this prayer? Oh, no, that's the Lord's chicken. Uh, that's, sorry, that's not, sorry, that, and they're closed today. You can't have any of that today. Yeah, it's not the Lord's chicken, it's the Lord's prayer. Uh, so the Lord's prayer is, uh, is what that's called, uh, not the Lord's chicken, don't confuse them. The Lord's prayer, but what does one do with the Lord's prayer? How are we to pray? How much prayer is enough? Uh, do you keep your eyes open when you pray, or do you close your eyes when you pray? Does it really matter? It doesn't. Just FYI, it doesn't matter. If you want, if you want to pray your eyes closed, close your eyes. If you want to pray with your eyes open, keep your eyes open. Pray, okay? The Lord doesn't tell you to do those kind of things. Why does everybody bow their heads? I don't know. Uh, but you can if you want to, but you don't have to. Let me say this. Prayer is simply this. You are communing with God. You're having a conversation with God. And so when you pray, you can pray to God the Father. You can pray to God the Son, Jesus. Or you can pray to the Holy Spirit. You can ask the Holy Spirit to do some things. And remember, God is a triune God, right? If you're new here to Refuge, we're Trinitarians. And so we believe that there's one God and three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father is neither God the Son nor God the Spirit. And God the Son is neither God the Father nor God the Spirit. And God the Spirit is neither God the Father nor God the Son. Got it? Tracking with me? Say that to your neighbor. What that means is that we, that we believe in one God in three persons, okay? So God the Father is, is one, God, God the Son is another, God the Spirit is another. There's one God exists all through eternity in three persons. We're not modalists. God doesn't move between, from once sometimes he's God the Father and sometimes he's God the Spirit, sometimes he's God the Son. That's, not, that's modalism, that's a heresy. We believe in a Trinitarian God who loves us and cares for us. So in this prayer... Jesus, the son, is talking to the father. And so he demonstrated that even though he is part of the Trinity, he needed to commune with God. He needed to pray to God and he needed to spend some time talking to God, the father. And so why is prayer important? Our faith is a relationship with God. And we must talk with God and hear from him. Sometimes we just need to stick a sock in it. Know what that means? Let's practice. Uh, take your right hand, everybody, everybody, and put it over your mouth. Okay, now take that down. Now, just in case that didn't take, take your left hand and put it over your mouth. See, it works both ways. And so sometimes we just need to stick a sock in it and be quiet and listen. Too many times in our prayer life, we go what? With a list of things that we want God to do. It's like, unleash the scroll of things that I need God to do in my life, and that's how I'm going to pray. Sometimes when we pray, we just need to go and be quiet. Listen. And hear. In our world today, think about this. We're inundated with stuff inundated with information, inundated with pictures and, and sounds all the time. Sometimes you and I just need to be quiet and listen to God. Listening is critical, but obviously so is speaking. We need, God hears us and, and he, we, uh, uh, God desires for his will to be done on earth. And as children of God, those of us who have been rescued from our sin and, and with the precious blood of Jesus, we have been given responsibilities to carry out uh, that God's called us to do. 
And if we don't talk with the one who gives us the instructions, how will we know what to do? How will we know what it looks like to be faithful to the one that calls us? You may ask, how do I begin to pray? Some of you may go, I I don't talk to God because I don't know how to do it. Just do this. Simply talk to God. Just simply talk to him. Talk to him about your day. Talk to him about your needs. Pray for other people. Confess your sins. Ask him to help you resist the temptation that comes your way literally every day. See, the Lord's prayer is not a prayer to be mimicked. Not a prayer to be recited over and over. Who who of you play, play sports in here? Raise your hand. So I'm sure that at some point at the beginning of some game, you said the Lord's Prayer with your team, right? And I'm sure that it goes something like this. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, we will be done. The earth is in heaven. Give us the daily bread. Give us the trespasses. The trespasses against us. Please not the temptation. The kingdom, power, glory forever. Amen. Right? That's right. Who's done that before? All of you who have played sports. You've all done that before. And so the Lord's Prayer is not something to be done in that way. The Lord's Prayer is a pattern for us to know how to pray. Can you repeat it? Well, of course. There's no prohibition against those kind of things. But the Lord's Prayer is a pattern to go, hey, God provides for us in our needs a guideline for how we can pray. There's no limit or structure on how you should do it. And if you still don't know how to do it, ask us. We'll help you. Fourthly, Go make disciples. Uh, in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 28, uh, after Jesus had been had crucified and he was raised from the dead and he appeared to a bunch of people, uh, the scripture tells us that he was out on a mountainside and uh, there were some people that uh, uh, were with him and this was right before he ascended into heaven. And, and again, I've said this before here, but if you read that text and you read that scripture, it says, as Jesus was ascending into heaven, going back to the father, people were looking and people were astonished. And then the, right after the text, it says, but some still didn't believe, which is crazy to me that you see Jesus like ascending up to the father. But you know what? Some of you are the same way. You hear message after message. You see lives changed after lives changed. You hear the good news of the message that happened. You see this Holy Spirit actually active and alive in people's lives, yet you still don't believe. I hope you believe today. In that same text, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the, the text says this right before that happened. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And, and so this is where sometimes it just comes off the rails for people. Um, each of us, if we are Christians, are called to make disciples. People that follow Jesus just like you do. Uh-oh, uh, that could be troublesome for some of us. If we're making disciples of Jesus and, and, and people are following Jesus like we follow Jesus, people follow Jesus like I follow Jesus, or if people follow Jesus like you follow Jesus, that could be troublesome for some of us. And I say, uh-oh, because we're literally 
always making disciples. People are always watching what you do. Little short people that live in your house are always watching what you do, how you say things, how you react to people, how you react to situations. What does it mean to come to church and gather with God's people? Do we do that? Does it matter to us? All those things matter. You're, all, you're making a disciple, someone that's going to mimic what you do down the road, how you treat your wife, how you love your husband, how you speak to one another, how you share the gospel with people, how you open your home to invite strangers in. All those things matter because you're teaching someone that this is what it looks like. If I claim to be a Christian, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, you're discipling people to something. We're always discipling people to something. Our lives tell others what is important to us. Let's take a quick inventory. If people are, no, that's, that's too weak. As people are looking at your life, how are you discipling them? What are you discipling them to? What are you discipling them away from? Jesus' command is one of action. He says, Go and make disciples. He's, so you've you got to be involved with people to make a disciple, okay? Here at Refuge, we do that in our gospel community groups. That, that's where we meet together and we pray together and we eat together and we study the Bible together and we cry together and we laugh a lot together and we invite other people into that and we, we ask people to be part of what's going on. We invite them into our lives to see what it looks like to follow Jesus being part of a gospel community group. We do all those things here at Refuge. We'd invite you to be part of that. If you're not part of a gospel community group, you need to be part of that so you can learn what it looks like to disciple others. Jesus said that we teach them. And what that means is we literally have to open the Bible and show them that this is what the text says. This is what the Bible says about the thing that you're dealing with. Not what my opinion is, not what your opinion is, but this is what God's opinion is. And his is what matters. If you go, I, I, I don't know much about the Bible. You probably know something. Teach somebody that. That's discipleship. Do we have to do it alone? No, the Holy Spirit is with us. That's what the scripture says. The Holy Spirit will help us do that. He will help us make, replicate, duplicate, saturate, Ooh, we. What's up with that? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm out of time. Uh, there are three more things that I think are very important uh, when it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. One is love. Okay? Love covers a multitude of sin. If you love me, listen, I will sin against you. I am a great sinner. And I will sin against you. I'll try not to intentionally sin against you. But I will sin against you. But love covers a multitude of sins. You're going to sin against me. And you're going to sin against each other. But the scripture says when we're Christians, because Jesus' love covers our sin, who are we to hold people's sins against them? Love covers a multitude of sins. 
Love is there. The Lord's Supper is another one of those communion. It's a time that we remember and celebrate. I, I encourage you to, to practice communion with us regularly here. We do it regularly at Refuge. We're going to talk about that whenever we get to communion in just a minute. It's important. It's one of those commands that Jesus calls us to. And then lastly, the thing that, that I don't have time to get into a lot is, is to give. Um, you, you can't see the New Testament church without recognizing that giving is a part of it. Uh, um, we have grown up in churches that teach tithing. You've got to give a certain percentage. And if, you know, once you hit the percentage, God rings this big gong in heaven, and, and then you get blessings that kind of flow out of that. Well, that's not the way that happens, okay? Old Testament texts, they, they did give a, they did give a tithe plus additional uh, offerings because the people that were working in the temple, like in my position here at Refuge, they didn't, have, they didn't, have, they didn't pay them. So what they got was they got food and things like that from the other tribes of Israel. If you know your Old Testament text, that's why they gave a portion of it to cover all those people that worked in the temple. Well, in the New Testament, the scripture doesn't say that we give a certain percentage because uh, uh, that's not the way it works. You want to give 10%, give it. You want to give 50%, give it. You want to give 2%, give it. Give joyfully. Listen, I wasn't going to talk about giving, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, you're a generous church, buddy, but some of you are stingy. And I say that in all seriousness. Some of you have been at church, this church for five years, hadn't given a dime. Shame on you. And I don't say it in a bad way. I'm just saying, how in the world can you come and be part of what God is doing and not contribute to it? We're not asking you for your purses to be open up, but give something. Give your time. Give something to what God is doing here. If you don't want to do it here, do it somewhere. If you can't give it to this church because you disagree with me, you don't like the way I'm a Mississippi State fan, you don't like you know, the way I look, give it somewhere so that that can be used so that the gospel can be preached and, and, and that the missions can continue on with somebody's church, okay? I wasn't even going to say that. All right, let's keep going. I know that what it may seem like that following Jesus may be daunting. It can seem like even these things that I've talked about are some huge checklist. But I don't want it to feel like a checklist. The, the things are there to do, um, but, but Jesus is the one who teaches us to do these things. The good thing is that we do them in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to grow in your knowledge and your practice of what it means to follow Jesus. Foundational steps to being what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Repent and believe. Listen, back to what the beginning of the sermon. Repent and believe. Some of you need to do that today. You need to repent of your sins and believe the gospel and become a Christian today. You can. Today. In just a few minutes. We want to encourage you to do that. Be baptized. Some of you need to be baptized to publicly say that I follow Jesus. It'd be our joy to baptize you. We love baptisms. We'd love to baptize you here at Refuge. Pray. My goodness, if you don't do anything else, pray. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your church. Pray for me. Pray for one another. Talk to God. You don't know how to start? We'll help you learn how to pray. Go make a disciple. I don't know how to do that. Come watch us make a disciple. We'll teach you how to make a disciple. We'll make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. That's what we're called to do. Love one another. Be in communion with one another. Give to the work that God is doing for us. This is not a list to get God's favor. This is uh, commands from him. I, something popped up in my Facebook memories today from 2017. I, I'm, I'm going to read it to you. It's from a book called God's Lavish Grace. That's what it says. 
Grace sets you free from mere religious duty and routine. The freedom from condemnation obtained by Christ's blood cleanses and releases your conscience. You no longer have to prove your worth by being a busy Christian. All right, and then he switches gears. This freedom does not lead to indolence and indifference, but clears the ground for zealous service for God's glory and for you to receive the rewards of his well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want that to be said about me. I want that to be said about you. Well done, good and faithful servant. It starts with some of you to repent and believe the gospel and follow Jesus today. Jesus throws wide his arms and invites you in today. Let me pray for us.